I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk. Discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. The great explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton died suddenly from a heart attack on January the 5th, 100 years ago, in South Georgia in the Antarctic. Who better to celebrate this iconic adventurer's life than a man who's been described by the Guinness Book of Records as the greatest living explorer? Sir Ranulph Fiennes has led expeditions to some of the most remote places on the planet. Among his many record-breaking achievements, he was the first to reach both poles, the first to cross the Antarctic and Arctic Ocean, and the first to circumnavigate the world along its polar axis. He's written a biography of Shackleton, which is out now, and he'll also be taking part in the British Film Institute's celebration of the spirit of adventure and human endurance on film with a special film screening and Q&A later this month. I spoke to him, learning the real reason why he didn't get into Sandhurst, prepare to be scandalised, what inspires him to preserve, in, uh, uh, to persevere in extreme conditions, as well as how he missed his shot at playing James Bond. I kid you not. But we began, of course, by discussing Shackleton and why, despite his many failures, he was still so incredibly inspirational. He didn't accept Lady Luck playing him a bad hand, which she did, (laughs) but we all face that possibility. And the ones who are successful, mostly, are the ones who are successful in accepting failure, but making the best of it. And when you're up against the worst side of human nature set against uh, natural nature, then character of a leader is absolutely vital. By which I mean, if, as in Shackleton's case, you want to do the first crossing of Antarctica at a time when nobody knows whether Antarctica, although it's bigger than America, Um, consists of uh, what sort of obstacle. And if you don't know that, because no one's been there before, then you set out just 
not really necessarily prepared. And so people who criticize Scott or Shackleton for using skis or not using skis, using ponies or not, dogs or not, a mixture of them, even a new car had come out by then, uh, then they are likely to make some good choices and some bad choices about to how to tackle the unknown. So from your point of view, uh, Ran, what would you say Shackleton's outstanding achievements were? I mean, I think of him rowing from Elephant Island, you know, 1,200 kilometres, wasn't it, in the return journey in order to get help for his men and, and not one of them dying uh, on that extraordinary and very ill-fated um, uh, 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 adventure in Antarctica? Yes, that's right. I mean, he ended up um, after getting further and further towards the pole, but then learning that um, Amundsen had actually reached the pole, he wanted to do something which would be one better. And that's not just going from the coastline below New Zealand to the South Pole, which um, had been done by Amundsen and Scott had got, you know, huge recognition for dying so bravely just before the First World War. Um, then you've got a situation where what can he do that's greater? And what he chose to do, Shackleton, was to attempt to cross the entire, shall we say, feature, geographical feature, not knowing whether it would end up with starving, scurvy, hypothermia, but likely that it would because only half of the journey across Antarctica had been done by Scott and Amundsen. The other half on the other side, the huge, empty, open side, was totally unknown the whole way across. So how do you attack it? Ponies? Do you take how much food? Um, which slows you down the more you take, of course. So it's a mathematical big problem, and one that he decided he could attack by using two expedition ships, the Endurance, and which he would be on from the tip of South America, hitting Antarctica on that side. And he would have another ship with another team setting out from Australia and New Zealand side. And critics of Shackleton have said that if his ship had not sunk, so that he never was able to set out, if it had landed him as planned, he would have died, he and his uh, companions, his three companions, would have died a horrible death somewhere on their way to the pole on the unknown side. We set out within living memory of him to disprove the critics by showing that two people without dogs, and he had dogs, we could actually get from one side in the place where he would have been dropped off, and we would be able to get with no form of support at all, nothing, we would be able to have done what Shackleton planned to do on the same amount of food. And we did that in 1993. For, for most of us, it's, it's a real leap of imagination to, to understand what you face when you get to Antarctica, what, what, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it, what it feels like. Can, can you evoke it for me? Yes, that's, that's one trouble. But um, in my book, uh, I go in great detail to every um, removal of an eye uh, in the middle of nowhere using a bit of wire and what it's like to have eye problems um, caused by glare and day after day, month after month. 
and uh, what it's like to have feet that are literally the skin's peeling off and toes that are sort of falling off half bit by bit, which we've had. And um, I could summarize the other key side, which is the starvation side, for you. Um, okay, here we go. It was in 1993 with uh, Dr. Stroud, um, the director of the British Army Res Personnel Research Establishment in Farnborough. He and I became the first to cross the Antarctic landmass unassisted. We did each manhaul a sledge with a start-up weight of 495 pounds. Wow. Which is well over 200 pounds greater than any previous dog haul or manhaul record. For context, this was the equivalent of lashing together three average-sized adults, each weighing 160 pounds, putting them in a fiberglass bathtub with no legs, and then dragging the uh, resulting sledge through sand dunes, not slippery ones, for 1,700 miles for 96 days. Van, I hate to interrupt you, but can you just explain to me, because people will be listening to this incredulously, can you explain to me why you would want to do that? Yes. Having read everything that is possible to read about Shackleton, I very carefully looked at the other one, Scott. So I wrote a book which took me years of research about Scott and shot down in flames all the previous authors and uh, critics, whether they were for or against him, who had not done anything colder than, you know, sort of Scotland in winter. Uh, and the fact being that if you've actually experienced total hell on ice, uh, then writing about it, uh, you can criticize what people who haven't experienced that and have done unfair, in my opinion, criticize of Scott or Shackleton or it, both of them. It sounds, when you describe Antarctica, I thought you might come out with something poetic about the beauty and the stillness and the... But everything you say about it sounds horrific. Uh, and it sounds like only horrific things have happened to you when you were there. So what on earth kept drawing you back and, and why did you want to do it in the first place what is the compulsion yes you know people like Shackleton and Scott were were heroes to you to an extent and you'd done SAS uh, training you know when you were a younger man and all those things but why what is the compulsion to go somewhere where you end up having to do you know self-styled operations on your own eye and lose the skin off your feet indeed ended up coming back with frostbitten fingers and uh, formed another uh, self-operation uh, uh, on your fingers with, I think, a Black & Decker in your garden shed. What makes you want to do it? Well, you, you, you want to be able to be one up on the problems <laughs> that haven't been done by other people. It's a sort of human desire to do so. We're not thinking that we are going in for a sort of suicidal form of activity. We're just wanting to be competitive, and that is a DNA which is with those people who do sign on. And initially, I mean, we, 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 we've talked a, a little bit about your expect, uh, expeditions and we'll do so again, but I know that you weren't able to go to Sandhurst like your father, who you never knew. Uh, you held a, a series of short service commissions with his regiment and then you, you joined the SAS and you took a job fighting uh, in Oman, I think, for the Sultan of, of Muscat. But 
at what point did you realize that what you wanted to do was explore the far corners of the world? Well, the first thing that hit me was that after being brought up in South Africa, and as you say, my dad was killed in the war uh, four months before I got born. Um, yeah, and his, his mum, who was South African, ended up going out there with my mum, my sisters and me. And when she died, uh, mum took us back to the UK. And um, I had by then a complete desire only to do what dad had done to command the Royal Scots Graves Regiment, as he had during the war. And that was the limit of my ambitions. And it stayed with me all the time until I realized I would never achieve it because to go to Sandhurst in his day, when he started with horses, 600 gray horses in the regiment, you didn't require A-levels. By the time I arrived at the Sandhurst age, having got back to the UK when I was 12 and um, studied at school to get the necessary A-levels, but uh, I couldn't get them, partly, I suppose, because at the key age, uh, sort of 15 to 18, was the height of the miniskirt era. <laughs> the concentration <laughs> was not possible, and I failed all the necessary A-levels, so I couldn't get to Sandhurst. Therefore, I couldn't become what I'd always wanted, Colonel of the Regiment, because, you know, if you don't go to Sandhurst, you're not going to go up the ladder quickly enough to get to Colonel. So it was only when I was about 22 years old that I realized I couldn't do what I'd always wanted to do. And so at that particular age, things happened as they do in life, which brought me round to studying polar expeditions and talking about it to other SAS people uh, who said, yeah, but Scott and Shackleton did do this, but they couldn't do that. But now they would be able to. So I then looked into the whys of it all and discovered that when I was talking about making this change, there, had, there were no polar orbiting satellites and therefore no GPS or sat-nav or sat-phone. We were in the age of Scott and Shackleton, as far as that was concerned, where there were no such modern things available. So we were in the same situation uh, in the 70s doing it as uh, Shackleton had been all those years ago. As you're very well aware, I'm sure, the world is uh, heating up and, and some of the places that you've visited no longer even exist because they, they, they were ice flows that, that, that you can't walk on anymore. How much do you think global warming is something that we really, really need to focus our minds on and how much has it reduced the world that you've explored? Well, yeah, we knew that when crossing Antarctica, um, we knew that the ice which covers the mountains, and we're talking about we are trudging and hauling those manhole sledges over ice, which um, is 10,000 feet above sea level. So you've got 9,000 feet of mountain with an ice covering, like on a cake of icing, um, which is 1,000 feet. So you don't see that actually the ice is getting any less from one year to the next. Uh, it is, and you know that it is, but you don't see it. Whereas, if you go to the other end of the world, to the Arctic uh, Ocean, when we are trying to cross that moving ice flows for over 2,000 miles, um, it is much, much more difficult because there's ice flows moving around quite quickly, 
usually in the wrong direction, so that you struggle to tow your sledge north towards the pole by day. Then when you're sleeping, the current takes you back what you've done. So there's all sorts of additional problems caused by uh, the way global warming is treating the Arctic than there is the way it's treating Antarctic. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In your 70s, Ran, you set yourself the challenge. Uh, some might have thought you'd done enough already in terms of, of your explorations and, and the hardships suffered as a result of them, but you set yourself the challenge of climbing the highest peaks in the world uh, to raise money for Marie Curie. Uh, what on earth were you thinking of and how hard has it been and are you likely to achieve your goal? Yeah, well, at 77, you're not going to be doing the same sort of stuff uh, yeah, I, I would have been the first OAP to climb Mount Everest. Uh, that, that might have been for Marie Curie or multiple sclerosis. There are um, big incentives for us mentally to know that in doing our expeditions, the public has been kind enough to give to our charities, our nominated charities, uh, £19.8 million pounds to, to date. And that is a side effect of the expeditions. The fact that we take scientists with us um, and on on our ship when going around the world for three years, obviously, if you're going vertically around Earth, the Pacific and the Atlantic, um, the Mediterranean, get in the way, and you're going to have a ship. Well, all these sort of things put a different light on what we do and what we don't do. And we take the scientists with us, and I can remember in the 1970s, a Canadian magazine called Maclean's said that none of my expeditions back then had been scientific. So we took them to the High Court in London and Sir Vivian Fuchs, the director of the British Antarctic Survey and others uh, from Scott Polar Institute and so on, uh, came to the jury of 12 on a three-day court case and Maclean's had to pay £100,000 and all the court costs because just one of our expedition reports was 600 pages of scientific results. The, the people on the actual 
expedition at the forefront are out to break a world polar record. But far more people on the on the expedition and on our ship and so on over a three-year period would be doing scientific work, trawling in Antarctica with nets off Antarctica whilst waiting for us for 18 months to cross. They were doing stuff which was measure the temperature, global change temperature on the effects of krill, the basis of the, the food mm, uh, chain fish, down yeah. there. And all that sort of stuff for those scientists wouldn't have been possible but for our expedition. In the process, in in your life, um, I mentioned you cutting off your own fingers because it was too long a wait for the operation for your frostbitten fingers. In 2003, you suffered a, a severe heart attack, um, a condition that killed Shackleton, uh, since we're on the subject of Shackleton today. But four months later, you ran seven marathons in seven continents in seven days for the British Heart Foundation. Um, you also had to abandon your bid at the age of 75 as you're climbing these peaks um, in South America, climbing Aconcagua uh, Mountain because you, you got a, a very bad back and, and I had to abandon that attempt. What's driving you? Is it an addiction, um, this, this, this exploring bug? Seven marathons in seven days, consecutive days, um, on seven continents, you know, that is a big problem. But that expedition was thought up by Dr. Michael Stroud, not by me. And I said to him, look, seven marathons, seven days, four months after a massive heart attack and double bypass, etc., um, might not be possible. So I went back to the surgeon in Bristol who said, well, he didn't really know whether my heart would put up with it or not because no... None of the 3,000 people he'd done the same operations on had asked him soon after the operation whether they could run one marathon, <laughs> never mind that. So he hadn't got an opinion. So my wife um, wasn't able to stop me doing it using <laughs> that opinion. And it turned out that it was possible as long as the heart didn't ever go more than 130 beats a minute. And in terms of your question about climbing high mountains and Aconcagua, the problem there was that as you get older, your ability, most people, um, to go high altitude, that's the effect. You're not climbing that mountain. It's an easy walk. You don't use your hands on Aconcagua. Um, and I had just previously climbed Everest, which is much higher at 29,000. Aconcagua is only about 21,000. Um, so as the months go by and tick, you lose your ability. And Ed Hillary, the first man up Everest, within five years, he couldn't have done that because he had the same problem with altitude effect on his body. Um, you mentioned uh, your wife and, and your first wife, Ginny, who passed away in 2004, accompanied you on that incredible expedition in Antarctica and, and won a polar medal, I think, three years later than you as a result. And we've recently seen Preet Chandy become the first woman uh, of colour to to um, cross Antarctica on skis and walking. Um, I wondered if you think that, that women get enough recognition for their exploring because most of the names that are on the tips of our tongues tend to be male and are often, from Columbus to Shackleton, men who didn't quite reach their, their goal. Yeah, well, in Britain, the, the, Red, um, the Royal Geographical Society, which is the heart of exploration, um, she has had um, the RGS, the Royal Geographical Society, um, 
kindly put up there in London at their headquarters, which you can go and visit, uh, a Ginny hut. Um, and over the pandemic, we've started to uh, decorate it with photographs of her doing polar work in remote areas. Um, she was, yeah, she was the very first woman ever to be given the polar medal by the Queen for her incredible polar research work, Sheffield University and so on, into the um, the ionosphere effects, which were sort of unknown in many ways. And so she worked with time code generators uh, in conjunction with a Russian and South African bases in Antarctica. She became the first woman accepted into the all-male Arctic Club. And about three months ago, the Foreign Office Polar Desk uh, have uh, named a huge mountain in Antarctica after her and all the work that she did, both in the, Pol the North Polar and South Polar areas. And the fact that um, our main difficult expeditions, like the first ever journey around Earth vertically, were her idea that she worked on for seven years to mount the necessary ships and people and 1,900 sponsors, a lot of hard work, uh, and all done in a small office provided by the Special Air Service headquarters in London. Yeah, she was an extraordinary woman. Now, just finally, Ran, because I know I've got to let you go, um, I think you were at one point narrowly beaten by Roger Moore to play James Bond. Do you ever wish you'd taken that route and you might have a few more fingers, maybe a few more toes and and better sight because you had to of course perform that operation on yourself in Antarctica yeah the bond thing came out of the blue it was when we'd just been married me and Jenny and she was working with the Scottish National Trust up north and we hadn't got enough money to get back to London where there stood a chance of me leading an expedition to do the first water journey uh, 3,000 miles from the Yukon to the United States in British Columbia as part of their centenary, and um, a William Morris Actors Agency man arrived at our little Scottish National Trust caravan up, up in Scotland, saying that they would pay for us to get to London by train and have a week's hotel down there if we would agree, if I would agree to be auditioned with 200 other people for the next James Bond, because George <laughs> Lazenby who had been the Bond in the last two films, was apparently costing Cubby Broccoli, the director and producer or whatever, uh, too much money for the next Bond film. So they decided, or Broccoli had decided, that they would look at people who did Bond-like things who didn't act and therefore wouldn't charge too much money. <laughs> so with 200 other people, I got a free coach down to London, and having done the necessary audition stuff. I knew that I wouldn't become Bond, obviously, because I didn't act. But when I got into the final six out of 200, I began to think, oh, maybe I can act. Maybe we'd be able to make the money this way, more than uh, just TA, Territorial Army pay. And um, yeah, so I got into the final six, and they were the ones who actually went to see Broccoli, not just Guy Hamilton, the director. Mm. And so I the night before seeing Broccoli for the final decision, and one of the other guys was called Roger Moore, as you said, um, I actually bothered to look into a mirror and sort of act. I quoted Shakespeare into a mirror to think, you know, persuade myself. 
And that wasn't enough. Broccoli said to Hamilton in the hotel where he saw me and Roger, uh, he said, this one, looking at me, looks like a farm hand. Look at his hands. <laughs> and that was when my hands hadn't had the fingers half cut off. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Bye.